This is recording number 10995 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, July 1, 2012. This is the fifth message in a study of the Bible's book of Hebrews. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Way of Hope. Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to continue our study in this book. The title of this series is The Way. And we're taking that from chapter 10 of this book where uh, the, the, the key, in my opinion anyway, the key verses for this book are found where it says that the Lord, Jesus Christ, has opened up for us a new and living way. And we've been looking at various facets of what that means. And if you have ever seen a gemstone, you know what a facet is. It's the way they cut the gemstones so that they have the beauty, that they, they give off the reflections of the light in the way that is so uh, special to, to us and the reason why we, we value gemstones. Every one of those little facets carved into the stone has meaning and value. And we're looking at various facets of this gem of truth that Jesus Christ has opened up for each one of us a new and living way of relationship to God. So we've looked at various, various aspects of that, what that means. And today we come to the facet of the way of hope. The new and living way is a way of hope. A way of hope. Now, if I asked you what the meaning of the word hope would be, or, or is, what would you say? What does hope mean? Thinking positively ahead. Thinking positively ahead. Not giving up. Not giving up. Anticipation. Anticipation. Believing. Believing the unseen. Faith, okay. All good. But, not, not, I, it's probably not the right word to say. No, no. Isn't that, what, isn't that what speakers usually do? They ask you to answer a question and they set you up to tell you why your answer was wrong. That's not what I'm doing. <laughs> what I meant to say is that, but in our culture, the word hope is used in a vastly different way than most all of you just described. And that's because most of you have read the Bible enough to get an idea that when the Bible uses the word hope, it's, it's a little different. And it is. It's almost the exact opposite of the way that the world uses the word hope. The way the world uses the, the word hope is that there is some evidence that what we want to see happen will happen. But... Probably more evidence that it won't. So we hope it happens, but, you know, there's, there's a good expectation that it might not come through. I don't even know if the Giants are playing today, and I'm a Dodger fan anyway. But, but what if we... What, <laughs> one, one of the ways that we would use the word hope in our culture is, I hope the Giants win today. So, so there, 
But the Bible, God uses the word hope completely different than that. The, the word hope, when it talks about our hope in God, and we will read that word in this passage that we're about to now, it means something sure. There is no um, shadow, no, no even hint of what has been promised not coming to pass. It is sure. It is an anchorage, we're going to read, an anchorage for our life. You can anchor your life to it. It will not move. And so hope, as we uh, approach this passage, needs to be thought of a little bit differently. And I've taken the time out of the short amount of time that I have this morning uh, to set this up because the the text is pretty self-explanatory. It's a, it is a, a gorgeous text. And just reading it is probably sufficient. And we will read it. And then I'll just make a few comments and then we'll be done. But I want you to think about the things that you're hoping for in your life. Because as much as all of your uh, definitions a moment ago were in, more in line with the Bible's meaning of the word hope, I would bet that there is a lot of things in your life that you're hoping for with the world's definition. Oh, I, I hope my relationship with so-and-so it gets better. I hope I can find a job. I hope that someone close to me will uh, be healed of this medical condition. I, I hope. And there's a lot of things in most of our lives that we would could use that word in that way about. And I just believe that the Lord wants to help us to see how all of that kind of worldly hope could get swallowed up by the, the hope that he offers to us today that is an anchor to our lives. Chapter 6, Hebrews 13, verse 13. Excuse me. It's chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And that's kind of sad, isn't it? That God would have to, we would doubt God so much he would have to swear. But our God was so intent on making this promise clear to each of us. That he swore by himself. Saying, surely blessing I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. And, not, and he used a turn of phrase here to emphasize it even more. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. And soon after uh, he had patiently endured, Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater... And an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. How many of you have ever swore? And I don't mean in the other way <laughs> that you're thinking about. Sometimes people, they don't do this so much anymore, but still in some jurisdictions you go to court and you put your hand on a Bible and you say, I solemnly swear. And you're swearing on something greater than yourself, supposedly. Uh, every time you write a check, you're swearing, I will pay this. You're swearing by your bank. There's a lot of ways that we, every time you, you uh, I was just in Staples the other day buying something, give them my credit card. I also had to swear by my driver's license that I am who I say I am. We're always having to back up our oaths or back up our, 
our statements, back up our actions with oaths in this world. And uh, verse 17 says, Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, that's you and me, the immutability or unchangeableness of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things, and those two immutable things are God himself. Immutable means changeless. Can't be changed. Unalterable. God himself is changeless, unalterable. And his oath. So by two immutable things. Because so, when God says something, it cannot be changed. So by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. And that's an understatement. That we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. The imagery there is just so profound that I, I, I run to him and lay hold of, of this hope that I have in him. This hope we have is an anchor for the soul or of the soul both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. And what that's talking about is in the temple, there was the outer court, and then there was the inner court, and the inner court was divided into the holy place and the most holy place. The most holy place was where the Ark of the Covenant was and where God's presence was manifest. And that part was separated from everything else by a veil. And the high priest is the only one who could go behind that veil. And he could only do it once a year. And he had to do it bringing a, 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 having offered a sacrifice and bringing that, the blood of that sacrifice. It was a closed off place because sinful human beings cannot be in the presence of God. But Jesus has has paid that penalty for us, that se for the sin that separated us from God. The Bible tells us when he was on the cross and took uh, uh, that penalty, gave his life for us, that the, the literal temple in the temple was torn. And, and um, so in a physical uh, manifestation of what was happening in the spirit, that, that veil, that curtain was torn. But in a spiritual sense, Jesus was entering into the presence of God. He was God himself, but he was entering in the presence, into the presence of God for us. And it says that this anchor of the soul that we have is hooked there. It's, it's set there in the presence of God. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has, has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So picture this. This is the presence of God. Let's just imagine right here, I don't know why I'm, I'm using this, but maybe it'll help. Let's just imagine right here, this little two-foot square section is the presence of God. And I'm, I'm way over here, okay? And I can't get that to the presence of God because of the gulf, gulf of my sin. But Jesus has bridged that gulp, gulp, <laughs> gulf and has anchored something there for me. Hope is anchored there in the presence of God. It cannot be changed. It's immutable. 
a hope that the promises that God made to Abraham and thus to you and me. Because in Galatians chapter 3 verse 29, it says that we are the seed of Abraham and heirs of the promise. The same promise given to Abraham. We're going to talk about that just briefly. What does it mean when it says that God made these promises? What promises did he make to Abraham that are now ours? But we'll get there in a minute. But I want you to see that those promises are anchored in the presence of God. And the line that goes from there to where I am over here is faith. The Bible says that faith reaches into the, into the realm of the unseen. It's what connects me with the hope that's anchored in God. My faith in what Jesus has done. And then we're going to talk about this thing called patience, which is the grip I have on the line. Patience is what gives faith power and what eventually will reel in all of the promises of God into my life. Now, this way of hope, we're told, was paved with His promise. I'll make this quick. Several times, God gave the same promise. Yeah, I use a little different language each time, but several times He made the same promise to Abraham because how many of you know sometimes we, we lose our grip on that line of faith and need to have it retightened? And so uh, God gave Abraham more than once the same promise. But I want you to look quickly at Gen- Genesis chapter 22. First book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 22, verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord, and that's a, a reference to the Lord himself called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you. And multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. These are the promises that God made to Abraham. And these are the promises that we're reading about in Hebrews chapter 6. And these are the promises that are ours according to Galatians chapter 3.29. The way of hope has been paved with his promises for prosperity and for productivity. Blessing I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. Blessing every way that you can imagine blessing. Material, emotional, spiritual. You know, I'm not one of these people that says that, you know, the Bible uh, says that every um, person ought to be, ought to own their own Learjet. Or that every person ought to be driving a Mercedes Benz. I'm not one of those kind of Bible teachers, but I am going to tell you this, that I, I, you cannot escape the fact that the Bible says God wants to bless you materially. Every, the problem is every culture and every human being um, defines prosperity a little differently. So I'm going to leave God to his own definition about that. But let's not uh, count ourselves out of the fact that God in his promise to Abraham, they reiterated over and over again and then draw, drew us into through Jesus Christ. God wants to bless you materially. But he also wants to bless you emotionally. The word blessing that's used there is an expansive word. Um, Starlene referred to it earlier this morning. And one of its meanings is happy. Be happy. 
God wants to bless you emotionally. He certainly wants to bless you spiritually. So in blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I'll multiply you. Productivity. It says that your, that your descendants, Abraham, are going to possess the gate of their enemies. The gate of a city in those days was the seat of authority. It was where all the transactions of meaning took place. It was where judgments were made. And he's saying that th this promise that's anchored in the, pres the very presence of God and swore to by God himself, that's yours and mine, says that he is going to give you victory over your adversaries. And authority on his, Jesus said this, he said, in my name, you will cast out devils. In my name, you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Amen. These are the, the ingredients of this promise that is ours, dear one. Anchored in the presence of God that cannot be moved, cannot be changed. It is a hope that will anchor your life. But it's realized through patience, it says here in the passage we read in Hebrews chapter 6. It says that when Abraham patiently, verse 15, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Think about this. Abraham was 75 years old when God first gave him, the, or gave to him this promise the first time. 75 years old. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Abraham didn't have any kids at that point. Ten years later, God reiterates to him, Abraham, your descendants are going to be as the stars of the heavens, the sand and the seashore, and bless the whole world through you. And Abraham is going, yeah, but I'm 85 years old, and I have no kids. How's that going to happen? The Lord says, trust me. Fourteen years after that, when he's 99 years old, and in between, he's kind of gotten impatient with God and tried to work it out his own way. He went into cahoots with his wife, and Ishmael was the result, and you know that story, and didn't turn out so good. So he comes to the Lord, and the Lord says, No, that's not my plan, Abraham. Abe, I'm going to give you a son, and through him, the whole, you're going to have descendants that are greater than the stars of the heaven, the sands on the seashore, and I'm going to bless the whole world through you. A, a year later, when he was 100 years old, he did have a son. Hallelujah. Praise God. We're finally getting on with the program. About anywhere from 10 to 20 years later, God says, Okay, Abe, I want you to sacrifice your son. Yeah. What? <laughs> How's that even in your character, God? It's a story I don't want to go into too much because most of you know it. But when Abraham... Trust the Lord. He said, I don't get this, but I trust you. He's got the knife to the kid's throat, and God says, stop. Now I know that you trust me. Crazy. Isaac grows up. He gets, uh, he's a bachelor until <laughs> he's 40 years old. So Abraham has one son, and he's not even married. How is this thing going to work out? So Isaac finally gets married when he's 40 years old. So guess how old Abraham is now? 140 years old. Got one son. And Isaac's wife is barren. She can't give him any kids. 
Finally, when Abraham is 160 years old, 75 years after the promise. More than that, excuse me, eight, uh, 85 years after the promise. Twins are born. Jacob and Esau. And, and Abraham got to see that and then died when he was 175. But the Bible says he held on to the promise of God that's anchored in the presence of God and cannot be changed. And that patience that held tightly to the butt, to the rope of faith, reeled in something that was not in the scene, into the realm of the scene. And dear one, you and I are sitting here today. The stars, of the, uh, the, the multitude is the stars of the heaven, sands of the seashore. We are the fulfillment of that promise. God, this way of hope is paved with his promise, is realized with patience, and finally, it's secured by his person. His person. I swear by myself, God says. I swear by myself. Every word I have promised you, I will fulfill. Even when it doesn't look like it. In fact, even when everything looks like it is working against that. My word is sure and steadfast. So I don't know. That list of things that you are hoping for. In the world's way of thinking. Oh I hope this, come, this job comes through. I hope we can. You know, our our um, house can be refinanced. Oh I hope. We, my, you know, whatever it is. That list of things. Let's allow the Lord to swallow all of that up today. All of those things that are relatively, let's just admit it, relatively meaningless. Okay? But let's let him swallow all of that up today. Into the hope that matters. The hope that will anchor your soul. The promise of God that is anchored in his very presence. Secured by his own person. In blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply.